Welcome to Quarantine Cast, episode one. The world has changed. None of us changed it. But now we're stuck indoors, faced with ourselves, and learning that we have no control over the world. But hopefully, we're learning that we do have control over ourselves. As ancient Roman philosopher Seneca the Younger said, the whole world lies in uncertainty. Live immediately. But wasn't that always the case? In the ancient Greek myth, King Sisyphus was sentenced to death by Zeus, who ordered Thanatos, aka Death, to chain Sisyphus down below in the Titan prison, Tartaus, which lies, quoting Zeus, as far beneath Hades as heaven is above earth. When Thanatos went to capture Sisyphus with the divine chains, the king of Ephra, infamous for his cunning, asked Thanatos to demonstrate how they worked. Thanatos didn't like to be doubted, and so granted Sisyphus' wish. But the wily king seized the opportunity and trapped Thanatos in the chains instead. Thanatos, now bound by the chains, couldn't bring anyone from Earth to the land of the dead, and so no one died on Earth. This was a big problem for the old and the infirm, who wanted nothing more than to escape their broken earthly bodies to the afterlife. It was a bigger problem still for Ares, god of war, as men on the battlefield were slain but would not die. The myth goes that Ares found death, or Thanatos, and turned Sisyphus over to him. In another version, it was Hades, king of the underworld himself, who was sent to chain Sisyphus and instead got chained himself. As long as Hades was tied up, nobody could die. Because of this, sacrifices could not be made to the gods, and those that were old and sick were suffering. The gods on Mount Olympus finally threatened to make life so miserable for Sisyphus that he would wish he were dead. He then had no choice but to release Hades. Having evaded death once, and knowing that they were coming for him once more, Sisyphus instructed his wife to throw his naked body into the middle of the public square, allegedly to prove her love for him. At the time, that was no way to honour a fallen king, and so Sisyphus persuaded Hades and Persephone, queen of the underworld, to allow him to go back to the realm of the living and ensure that his wife carried out the proper rituals. On his release, Sisyphus naturally made no attempt to return to Hades, but lived to a ripe old age, largely thanks to death now not wanting to go anywhere near him, following, of course, the previous experience of him being put in chains. Whilst death avoided Sisyphus, time did unfortunately run out for the king's devoted wife, and so he pled with the gods to take him. Zeus himself now intervened. The king of the gods made sure that humans would not be encouraged by the feats of the trickster Sisyphus, and so his fate would have to be long and tedious. Homer's Odysseus describes it best. He says, I witnessed the torture of Sisyphus as he wrestled with a huge rock with both hands. Bracing himself and thrusting with hands and feet, he pushed the boulder up the hill to the top. But every time, as he was about to send it toppling over the crest, its sheer weight turned it back, and once again towards the plain, the pitiless rock rolled down. So once more he had to wrestle with the thing and push it up, while the sweat poured from his limbs and the dust rose high above his head. Indeed, Zeus had offered Sisyphus the chance at eternal life. If he could just push the boulder over the top of the hill... The boulder, of course, was enchanted by Zeus to become heavier and heavier the further it got. 
Whilst many see this story a lesson about hubris, Albert Camus saw Sisyphus as a hero who twice evaded death and embraced the chance at life over death, even at its most futile. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy, wrote Camus. Camus saw Sisyphus as the absurd hero who lives life to the fullest, hates death and is condemned to a meaningless task. It's now that we're all Sisyphus, living in the monotonous routine of pushing a stone up a mountain day in, day out, hoping to return to the realm of the living. But it's not a stone which magically gains weight that we're facing, we're staying at home. And even that seems like too much for some people. Why? Well, I think it's because we're facing ourselves. More people around the world than ever before are having to learn to live with themselves and those that they supposedly love the most. And we're not used to boredom. We're used to commuting and working and consuming. We were pleasantly distracted with the good and the fun and the flashness of the world. We were like in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, growing up to love our servitude. We had been conditioned to live for the grind. We didn't want change. Change is a menace to society. But now the world has changed. Now we're forced to face reality and we don't know which was reality and which was a dream, which was the desire. Was it wanting more time off at home with our families or was that the reality? Now we have to face this difficult truth as well as that of our own mortality and difficulties as the common enemy, the grind we so loved, which has been torn from us. Mustafa Mond in A Brave New World, speaking with the savage, he says, you're claiming the right to be unhappy not to mention the right to grow old and ugly and impotent, the right to have syphilis and cancer, the right to have too little to eat, the right to be lousy, the right to live in constant apprehension of what may happen tomorrow, the right to catch typhoid, the right to be tortured by unspeakable pains of every kind. That was Mustafa Mond trying to convince the savage in a brave new world not to turn away from society, not to turn away from civilization. But civilization in a brave new world was... Uh, abound with distractions and and unbelievable desires being fulfilled at all times. It was instant gratification in every minute. And instead, the savage rejected it. He says, "No, I want to, I want to claim the right to be unhappy." We've had it forced on us as we lock ourselves away to avoid the spread of this potentially deadly disease. Our distractions are largely left outside. Like the savage in a brave new world, we have to claim them all. Learn to live with yourself. If you're lonely, when you're alone, you're in a bad company, said Jean-Paul Sartre. We're like French philosopher René Descartes' prisoner, who, dreaming that he is free, starts to suspect that it's merely a dream, and he wants to go on dreaming rather than waking up. Descartes admits that he too fears being shaken out from his dreams because he's afraid that his peaceful sleep may be followed by hard labour when he wakes, and that he shall have to struggle not in the light of the imprisoning darkness but of the problems that he's raised. It seems we're always dreaming of freedom, freedom from the 95, now freedom from our own homes and from ourselves. We no longer know where is the light and where is the imprisoning darkness of our realities. The book Letters to a Young Poet, which is a publication of a series of letters from Austrian poet Rainer Maria Reich, exchanged with a student at Military Academy, advising him on how to write. Reich told the aspiring poet, to learn to be able to, and even love being alone. He said, Love your servitude, 
and try to sing out with the pain it causes you. For those who are near you are far away. And this shows that the space around you is beginning to grow vast. Be happy about your growth, in which of course you can't take any more with you. And be gentle with those who stay behind. Be confident and calm in front of them. And don't torment them with your doubts. And don't frighten them with your faith or joy, which they wouldn't be able to comprehend. Seek out some simple and true feeling of what you have in common with them, which doesn't necessarily have to alter when you yourself change again and again, when you see them. Love life in a form that is not your own and be indulgent toward those who are growing old, who are afraid of the aloneness that you trust. And don't expect any understanding, but believe in a love that is being stored up for you like an inheritance and have faith that in this love there is a strength and a blessing so large that you can travel as far as you wish without having to step outside of it. This is a great chance for us all to get to know ourselves. Controversial author and clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson writes, What do you know about yourself? You are, on the one hand, the most complex thing in the entire universe, and on the other, someone who can't even set the clock on your own microwave. Don't overestimate your self-knowledge. Man conquers the world by conquering himself, said Zeno, the founder of Stoic School of Philosophy. Camus was fascinated by Sisyphus' thoughts when, after he had crumbled under the massive weight of the stone and the stone had tumbled back down to the bottom, he came marching down the mountain to start anew. I see that man going back down with a heavy yet measured step toward the torment of which he'll never know the end. This is the truly tragic moment when the hero Sisyphus becomes conscious of his wretched condition. Like Sisyphus, we're facing this Groundhog Day. But unlike him, this wretched condition will pass. Nor is it so wretched. Perhaps rather than bearing the weight of the world, or even Sisyphus Stone, we should try to bear the weight of being alone with ourselves. Learn to love our solitude, and conquer ourselves. Whilst I've been postponing this episode since my laptop stopped working last October, I was almost looking for a good opportunity to start recording again. And of course, the perfect moment never came, and probably never will. Uh, and so here in lockdown from the coronavirus, um, with the cats running around making noise and the neighbours playing music, and it, you just have to go for it. You just have to start recording again. And that's what I always told myself about this. There, there's nothing I'm waiting around for. Here in Spain, the curve has started to flatten. We had a solid week of bad headlines and I had to learn to take social media and the news in small doses, and I recommend that if you're struggling with this, do the same. It helps. We're hearing how great technology is for keeping us connected at this difficult time. House party, Zoom, WhatsApp, FaceTime, Skype, Slack, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, TikTok, whatever else. Yes, they have their flaws, but they are great for keeping us connected. But don't forget to reconnect with yourself. We don't take this opportunity, we don't have this opportunity very often. We're always asking for more time, and now here we are, trapped in the ambers of the moment. Lao Tzu. Time is a created thing. To say I don't have time is like saying I don't want to. Well, now you have time, so you're going to need to find another excuse. Remember, though, that time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. As the little prince learned in Antoine de Saint-Exupéry's beautiful little story, it's the time we waste on things that make those things so important. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, we're worried about our health and the health of those that we love and care for. But there's very little we can do about it. In The Lord of the Rings, as well as going everything 
going wrong on Middle Earth. Frodo turned to Gandalf and he said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. So yeah, here in Spain, the curve is starting to flatten. The government have just announced two more weeks, at least, of lockdown. And our lockdown is severe. We can't go out, except to do essential food shopping and for essential workers to go to work. But otherwise, we face a 600 euro fine. I know that's being painted as punishment in the UK for bad behaviour, not following the bizarre and vague lockdown laws that have been put in place there. It's not punishment, though. It's protection. Protection from a terrible virus that's killing one in ten people it affects. Maybe a little bit of protection from ourselves, too. Whilst I've tried to avoid criticising any government at this time, I don't think it's helpful, and I think we need to focus on working together to help humanity face this crisis. I do have a few things that... Obviously, I want to say I'm an opinionated person, uh, as many of you know. Firstly, it's that we're facing this after more than a decade of austerity and cuts. In Parliament in 2016, they voted against giving the public sector a pay rise to bring them in line with inflation. Thus, nurses, doctors, policemen, firefighters, amongst others, have had a decade of what's essentially pay cuts as the price of living increases faster than their salaries. These are the people that we're now applauding and relying on more than ever. But in 2016, when it was announced that these now essential workers wouldn't receive pay rises, certain members of parliament applauded that decision. That's not on. Furthermore, this is almost 12 years of ideological austerity that's seen many struggle to accrue savings, has forced people to work on zero-hour contracts and live paycheck from from paycheck to paycheck. I can't help but feel that if... The last, I don't know, if we'd have had 10 years of a more caring society, better access to welfare and greater safety nets, perhaps more people would be going into this crisis with rainy day savings, emergency funds and a full fridge. And finally, this issue of lockdown. I've been watching the UK from here, further along the curve in Spain, and I can't help but feel that the government have resorted to their usual divide and conquer approach rather than enforcing any particular kind of lockdown for the good of the people, they're leaving it up to you to argue amongst yourselves. Now, I'm in no way in favour of a police state or authoritarianism, but I do believe that it's up to the government to take responsibility and to lead people. Instead, I feel like they've offloaded it onto the public. They've put themselves in the position of disciplinarian schoolteacher. Follow the rules or be punished with a stricter lockdown. But like I said, in Spain, we're grateful for what the Conservatives are threatening to use against you. Yes, this severe lockdown has been difficult, but it's working. We saw four days of decreased death rate. It has spiked again, unfortunately. But there's plenty of good coming out of all of this. Businesses are working harder to drive automation and flexible working and and remote working. Countries that are looking at universal basic income and hopefully, hopefully, we will see national health services valued for what they really are. During this time, I've seen a nice parable as told by Alan Watts. It's called the parable of the Chinese farmer. It's an old story, uh, but it's good enough to bear repeating. I won't be able to do it as as well as Alan Watts. Uh, He was a, a tremendous storyteller. 
sometimes good things come out of bad things. And most bad things aren't nearly as bad as we fear they will be. The story goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. That evening, all of his neighbours came round and to commiserate. They said, we're sorry to hear your horse has run away. This is most unfortunate. The farmer said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back and brought with it seven wild horses. And in the evening, everybody came back and said, oh, isn't that lucky? What a great turn of events. Now you have eight horses. The farmer again said, maybe. The following day, the farmer's son tried to break in one of the horses, and whilst riding it, he was thrown and broke his leg. The neighbours then said, Oh dear, that's too bad. To which the farmer responded, Maybe. The next day, the conscription officers came around to conscript people into the army, and they rejected the farmer's son because he had a broken leg. Again, all the neighbours came around and said, Isn't that great? And again, of course, the farmer said, Maybe. The whole process of human nature, it's very complex and, and integrated in some ways, I think. It's, it's really impossible to tell whether anything that happens has a good or a bad outcome, or whether we can even classify things as good and bad. Um, I do feel that a lot of situations have silver linings. Maybe we yet to see the silver lining in this situation. Um, but you never know what will be the consequence of misfortune. Or you never know what would be the consequences of good nature. We're facing a challenge. United as one world, we're being exposed to adversity. We're scared for our health and the health of those that we love. We have a choice to make. It's not an easy choice. But we can learn to live with ourselves, face these dark times and come through this stronger, having built innovative 21st century communities and been a beacon of light for others. Or we can wallow in self-pity which, as Maya Angelou points out, in its early stages, is as snug as a feather mattress. Only later, when it hardens, does it become uncomfortable. Be careful of being comfortable in self-pity. As the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius wrote, if it's endurable, then endure it. Stop complaining. You'll see a lot of people preaching about what they've achieved at this time or what you should be achieving. I've seen it. I've seen it on LinkedIn. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on Facebook. Personally, whilst I'm, you know, I'm saying make the most of this time, I, I think you should use it to, 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 I believe, use it to get to know yourself better and get to know those who you're sharing this time with. That can really, really, really make you stronger on the other side. Yes, okay, I'm doing uh, various courses online. I'm trying to learn, I don't know, improve some various things, video editing and stuff. But I think it's, it's having this time, taking this time to, to find out what it is that you want. I want to leave you with this beautiful poem by American school teacher Kitty Romero. As always with the podcast, uh, subscribe, subscribe and like if you've enjoyed it. Share it with your friends. Um, I'm going to be trying to to boost a few things lately. I'm working on the website. I'm going to try and work on a few other things. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. And I'm I'm going to leave you with this. It's a poem called "And the People Stayed Home," and it's by Kitty Romero. And the people stayed home, 
and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still. And listened more deeply. Some meditated. Some prayed. Some danced. Some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently. And the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed, and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices, and dreamed new images, and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully, as they had been healed. Thanks very much for listening. Mm -hmm.